Amen. So uh, raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, so that means some of you weren't here. I'm going to do a quick recap just since we're not too far into it. I don't want to belabor it, but I also feel like as we go forward in the chapter, it's kind of important that you get some of this stuff that we first talked about uh, in the first few verses. So I'll read um, verses 1 through 6. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. We did leave off. We, we briefly covered verses 2, 3, and 4. Just very kind of skimmed the surface of them. Didn't get into them. We'll get into those tonight. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and recap real quick. But in verse 1 it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you, uh, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the spirit of, uh, excuse me, receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it, uh, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So as, as a way of, I guess, a recap, um, uh, verse number one says, O foolish Galatians, the tone of Paul is obviously in this letter is uh, pretty negative. There is no words of accommodation. There is no words of encouragement. There's no prayer requests in the book of Galatians. It's just kind of like Katie bar the door, and uh, Paul's, you know, having at it. And so... In, uh, in, in chapter 1, he goes in, he, he doesn't pull any punches, he tells him exactly uh, the reason he's writing and, and the issues that he has with the Judaizers that have come down and have um, started teaching false doctrine amongst these, uh, these people at Galatia. And then in chapter number 2, he gives a, a few words of testimony, a couple uh, historic things that took place. Um, kind of justifying his ministry and why he has the ability to speak the way he's speaking. And then in chapter number three, he, he turns the guns again and he broadens the scope when he says, Oh foolish Galatians, this is all encompassing, isn't just talking to the church at Galatia, but rather all that are in attendance and can hear his voice. And so Paul is kind of broadening the, uh, the, uh, the rebuke here um, because there could be some lost people that this applies to. And he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Now that, again, we won't go into as much detail as we did last week, but that word bewitched uh, is important because that's connected with sorcery. That's connected with um, witchcraft. And uh, sorcery, witchcraft, to be bewitched is to be tricked. It's to, it's to be sli- like sleight of hand. Um, and, and sleight of hand and those kinds of tricks that take place, there's, there's a motive behind it. And so, uh, again, you know, the, the, uh, the warning is, is that just because somebody's getting up and they look good and they have a Bible doesn't mean they don't have ill intentions. And so you have to be extremely careful with who you start to commend or say, oh, they're a pretty good person, or yeah, well, they, they got a good heart and everything else. And we talked about the numerous amounts of people that sit in churches that don't believe like they believe, and they're sitting in churches that um, are not teaching the right stuff, and they're not dispensational, and they know better, but they're sitting there, and they're in those churches, and they're justifying it. Well, these are good people, and good people, good people, good people. Uh, well, you've been bewitched. 
Amen. Someone's cast a spell on you. And the funny thing is, is anytime you talk to somebody about that, they get super defensive, right? Because they're like true believers, man. They're like, oh, he's a pretty good person, you know. It's like, no, stupid, you got your eyes all blinded. You need to be really, really careful because smooth talk and fair speeches and all that kind of stuff, it, it can really mess you up. And so um, it'll get you thinking about people in a way you shouldn't think about them. Paul was rebuking these people harshly, and don't you know there's some people in the crowd that are just going, Paul, you're being so mean. You're just overreacting. Don't you think you're being a little bit you know, harsh in your rebuke? You told these people that they could be accursed. You basically told these people they should go to hell if they preach. Paul says, I ain't pulling any punches, man. I don't know what you're thinking. This is a serious deal. This is not games. This is not fun and games. This is a serious deal. The Bible tells us that we should earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible tells us that we should convince the gainsayers. The Bible also tells us that those people that are, that, uh, are teaching false doctrine, those people that uh, uh, don't believe like you, the Bible tells you you should even bid them Godspeed. Nobody ever read that before? <laughs> you shouldn't even bid them Godspeed. But so many times, for the sake of getting along and for the sake of not ruffling feathers, and yeah, it's a hard one, I know. But he says here, they've been bewitched, that they should not obey the truth. Uh, for whose eyes the Lord Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, one, and crucified among you. We spoke about that. To be evidently set forth is through preaching, through sermons. The topic of the sermons should be Jesus Christ. They should, be, they should preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We went through some verses on that last week. So he was evidently set forth by preaching or by a sermon, and then he was crucified among you. How in the world was he crucified among them? These folks are in the northern part of Galatia in Asia Minor. Jesus Christ was crucified down south uh, outside of uh, Jerusalem. And so they were worlds apart from the crucifixion. And what you know is that Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we know that we uh, walk circumspectly and we know that we're a, a, we are an epistle, a living epistle uh, that should be read of all men. And they should, we should always be bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us. And so how was he crucified among them? Through the life and, and, uh, and conduct of the Apostle Paul. He was living a crucified life. So how in the world do we reach lost people? How in the world do we let people see Jesus Christ high and lifted up? Okay, well, we talk about him. We preach about him. We speak about him through the word. And then we live a Christian life, a crucified life. And then that is how Jesus Christ is evidently set forth and crucified among the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people that you go to uh, uh, wherever it is you find yourself. That's how they see him evidently set forth and crucified. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now verse number two is speaking in reference to their conversion. Okay, verse number two is speaking to their conversion. This only what I learn of you. He says, now teach me something. This is, okay, I just want you to tell me one thing. This is what Paul's saying. So he says, there's one thing I would learn of you. He said, I want you to tell me, how did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law 
or by the hearing of faith. And of course, we ran some verses last week that are very, very evident that it was from the hearing of faith. Back in Acts chapter 2, we ran verses, Acts chapter 2, we ran verses in Acts chapter 13, we ran verses in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, and we know that they, were, they received the Spirit after they heard the preaching. By the hearing of faith. They were preached to, it was cut to their heart, they heard, and then the Spirit came down uh, when they received what they heard. And of course we know that that's true because of what is said in Romans. He says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so it's by the hearing of faith. That question is easily answered scripturally. Okay, and then verse number three speaks to their conduct. He says, are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So, uh, it's a rhetorical question in verse 2. How did you receive the spirit? Was it uh, by the works of the law or hearing of faith? Well, it's very simple to answer. It was the hearing of faith. Okay, well, if that's the case, what he's doing is he's, is he's kind of putting them in a box. So, if you can easily answer this question, then the logical route is now, okay, well, if you started by hearing it by faith, are you now made perfect by working the law? If the law wasn't powerful enough to save you, how in the world is the, is the law powerful enough to make you perfect? Because what's harder? Think of that. What's harder? To justify you and free you from all your sins and, and, and to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and all the things that come with salvation? Or walking with you every single day and, and, and convicting your heart of sin, righteousness, and judgment and, and conviction of the Holy Spirit and patience and long-suffering and mercy and conviction and patience and long-suffering and all those attributes that we love of God, right? What's, what's, what's easier? Well, I would, I would argue the point that uh, as far as that, not saying that it was easy, that what Jesus Christ did as far as uh, 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 buying your salvation or paying for your salvation with his life was easy. That's not what I'm saying. But usually the thing that takes more time is more expensive. Right? So if you ever listen to Jim Lentz's sermon, uh, The Fitch is Coming in Corn. Anybody ever heard that sermon before? Oh my goodness, folks. Y'all need to get on the internet and look up Jim Lentz's sermon called Fitches, Coming, and Corn. It'll change your life. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a classic sermon I think every Bible believer should listen to. Okay? And in that, in that sermon, he gives an illustration. And I won't preach the sermon because I could never do it justice. But what he says is, you go down to the feed store and you can buy kernel corn or you can buy crack corn. And if you buy kernel corn, it's less expensive than crack corn. But if you want to buy, if you want to buy a corn meal, it's more expensive than crack corn. Why is that? Because there's more of a process that takes place to get it from kernel all the way down to cornmeal. And so the more effort and the more labor that it takes to get to something, right, the more expensive it is. And so I would submit to you that you get saved by no work of your own, right? You get saved in a moment. 
The minute you hear the word of faith and you, and, you, and you exercise the faith that's in you and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. Would you please save me? And then all of a sudden you get the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. You get all those biblical words that pastor's going through in the book of Romans, the justification, the salvation, the redemption, and all those T-I-O-N words that are Bible. Those are biblical words. Okay, and there's a great study in going through all those words, justification, imputation, redemption. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on, right? And so you get all of that in a moment. The Bible says that you have the earnest of the spirit, okay? But I'm gonna tell you something, being made perfect, now that's a lifetime of labor. That's a commitment between you and the Lord and a commitment that God makes to you, correct? He says, I'm gonna never leave you nor forsake you. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big commitment. Could you imagine committing to somebody and saying, I'm never gonna leave your side? I mean, I love my wife. And I committed when I, was, when I got married that I wasn't gonna leave her. But to be with her 24-7 every single day, I mean, that's not good for either one of us. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a break, you know what I'm saying? You need to like go off and do something else. Let her have some time, you have some time, right? When the Lord makes a commitment, says, I'm never gonna leave you nor forsake you. No matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, I'm gonna be right there. All right, no married person in here that wants their wife <laughs> behind them and just watch them 24 hours a day, right? It's like, I appreciate your commitment, but you're not the Lord, go away, right? <laughs> But the Lord makes that commitment. He says, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit who's gonna work on you and ting and ting, 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 ting. And I'm gonna mold you into the, if you allow me, I'll mold you into the image that I want you to be. And the Bible says, it doth not yet appear what we shall, but we, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall see him like he is. He says, we're gonna be just like him. Right? And so we're made perfect, not now, but later. But what are we doing from the time of our salvation until the time we're made perfect? We're in the process of being made perfect. And so it's, it, 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 I would submit to you that it's more time consuming uh, to, to uh, be made perfect than it is to be saved. Because just because you're saved doesn't mean you're a Christian. Because a Christian implies that you're following actively following and being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the natural follow-up question for Paul, he's, he's alluding to their conduct and he's saying, if you receive the Spirit uh, by, uh, he, says how, uh, he says, why are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, again, that's the implied answer of, of uh, verse number two, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Because in order to be made perfect through the works of the law, that means you've got to knuckle you got to white knuckle your flesh. That's the only, if you're going to use the law as a means of uh, being perfect, that means you're going to have to tame your flesh and white knuckle that thing into submission. And you know what the truth of the matter is? You can't do it. You can't stink and do it. Try as hard as you want. And guess what? Your flesh is still going to be the flesh. Try to train your mind all the time not to go off on wrong things. You know what you're going to keep doing? going off on wrong things. You go ahead and tell your eyes, you're not gonna ever look at nothing bad again. You know what's gonna happen? Your eyes are gonna look at something you shouldn't look at. You can say flesh, 
I'm not going to let you have control. You know what the flesh is going to do? He's like, ah, I want to go here. <laughs> like, what in the world was that? <laughs> I just have this natural urge. I got this thing inside of me. What in the world's going on, right? Your flesh ain't going anywhere until it dies, man. Until it dies. This is the great revelation that Paul has in, in, in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. This is a struggle that is evident of your salvation. Okay? He's, he's, under, he's under great pressure, right? Uh, verse 5, Romans chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, look at this, the motions of sin. How about that? Which were, look at that, by the law which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Well, if that's the case, then how in the world could your flesh and the law make you perfect? If he just told you that for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death, how could that bring forth fruit in the life? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And so he goes through uh, he goes through the discourse here in chapter number seven, and he says, uh, "Just um, going to take a few verses here. Uh, where do I want to start? Verse fifteen: For that which I do, I allow not. Well, you're crazy. Those things that I do, I don't allow myself to do them. What? What are you smoking?" Right? Those things that I do, um, excuse me, those things which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. <laughs> Paul's like, there's something crazy wrong in my head. I don't want to do this. I, don't, I hate certain things. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing the things that I hate to do. Well, isn't that the opposite of what the world says? <laughs> do everything you love. <laughs> Do what feels good. Paul says, I find those things, I hate those things, and I'm doing those things. Okay? For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, uh, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not. So he's coming to a conclusion, verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. For, or says, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, look at this, that is in my flesh dwelleth all the keys to holiness and righteous living. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. For me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So he's asking another rhetorical question. You know the answer to this question. If you start by faith, how in the world could you be made perfect by your flesh? Your flesh is what's been giving you a fit since birth. You're born into trouble like the sparks fly upward. Your flesh is no good. You haven't seen a baby in the world whose flesh was good. He may have been innocent without sin, but you know that that, why do babies cry? I, I thought about this. I was preaching on patience the other night, right? Um, and uh, the absence of patience 
right, is, uh, is childish. Can you imagine uh, one of these kids in our church, they sitting there screaming, right? Because, you know, somebody's got a toy and it's their turn to play with the toy, but they don't have the toy. And so you say, could you have a little patience, please? And the kid's like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'll stop crying now. It is their turn. <laughs> right? They don't do that. What do they do? They don't care anything about anybody else. They don't care about their parents. They don't care about their surroundings. They don't care about if they make a mess. They don't care if they stink. They don't care about nothing. They care about themselves. They're selfish by nature. What does that show you? It shows you their flesh. Right? It shows you their flesh. It's no good. It's not going to lead. If your flesh is going to lead you into righteousness, then how come babies aren't patient? <laughs> right? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so Paul is, again, he's, he's hitting home here. So that's uh, Dr. Peacock gives the illustration. He says, if, if, uh, if, if you being spiritual was based on how you look on the outside, then folks in jail should be the most spiritual people you ever see in your life. I know when we booked people in jail, we had to, we had to make sure that the, they had the right uniform on. They either had green and white stripes, black and white stripes, or red and white stripes. If you had red and white stripes, you're a trustee. If you had green and white stripes, that means you're on the third floor. And if you had black and white stripes, it means you're on the second floor and you're a higher offender. Okay, so we knew where they were at based on the uniform. They all had to be, the uniforms all had to be in good condition. They couldn't have holes in them, couldn't have rips in them. They couldn't show any part of their body uh, where, you know, it would be somehow lewd or anything like that. It had to be fully covered. They all had the same shoes on. They all had to, uh, they all had to take showers. They all had to keep everything trimmed up and everything else. You know what they were? I guess good Baptists. Right? But guess what? Just because you tame somebody's flesh doesn't make them spiritual. That's what Paul is trying to allude here. Even if you had success in taming your flesh, does that somehow give you spiritual fruit? Well, no, of course it doesn't. So he says, and he says that the concept or the thought behind that is absolutely foolish. So you have a group of, you have a group of people and you have a group of what we call Christians in the world today that, that judge their spirituality based on all of the external things. And they ignore how filthy the inside is. You can tell by how they preach. They're constantly preaching to the outside. They're constantly preaching how you should dress, how you should talk, how you should walk, how you should answer, how you should do all this, how you should, how you should, how you should, how you should. How you should. Instead of, okay, why are you angry? You got some bitterness. You're jealous. You're envious. Right? You're lonely. You are, you're, you're, uh, um, you're a gossip. You see that? Those things hurt way worse. Those things hurt way worse. But if we wanted to control people, and, we, and if I was a pastor and I wanted everyone to think that I was really spiritual, and I had a church of clean, you know, cut and well-behaved individuals, uh, 
That's how I would preach. You know how you do, you know, you put your thumb down on them. And you tell them exactly how to live and exactly what to do and what color car to buy and how to do this and how to do this and how to do this and how to do this. And you dictate their lives from the pulpit. Or you dicta- dictate their lives from chairs behind a desk. I told, this to a, I told this to a preacher one time, and I don't say this from a position of I think that I know everything, but I've been around some men that have mentored me in some things, and one of the uh, questions, or one of the things he was telling me is that, you know, people really, they don't, they don't value good godly counsel anymore. And he says, you know, I really think it's important for, you know, people to come and talk to me, you know, before they make certain decisions. That's what he told me. And I was preaching at the church, and I was like, uh, I try to just shuck it, you know, I didn't want to say anything. And he asked me, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, you're not, I, I, I said, you're not a licensed psychologist and you're not a therapist and you're not a doctor. So the least amount of, the least amount of that junk that you give to your people, probably the best for you as a, from a liability standpoint. Of course, he was big on natural remedies, and he was big on all these, he had all these opinions. He, he one time told somebody to throw their medication away uh, because they didn't have enough faith. I mean, this guy did that stuff. And I don't believe, I don't believe in depression, stuff like that. And he was like, I want more people to come talk to me. And I'm thinking, please, God, keep them away, keep them away, keep them away, you know. <laughs> But you try to tidy up somebody's flesh, it doesn't make them perfect. And he's, it's, it's obvious here, right? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? It speaks to their conduct. Verse number four speaks to their conflict. Verse number four, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Okay, so <clears throat> he's saying here that they have suffered. It says, have ye suffered? So there's obviously when Paul first got here and he preached it in the truth, they obviously probably uh, encountered some persecution or some suffering from the people around them. They had to obviously go against the, the knowledge that they currently had before Paul got there. These people who believed in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ without the works of the law and without... Uh, any of the uh, uh, circumcision or anything like that. And, of course, they were probably caught a lot of heat for that. And so they, these people have already been persecuted. These people have already been made fun of. These people have already been belittled. I'm sure some of these people have been beaten. Some of these people have been disowned by family that he's talking to. And some time has now gone by, and he's saying, what in the world are you doing changing positions now? You've already suffered. So by you being so wishy-washy, you suffered first and foremost because you believe salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. And then some of these people came in and said, you know, well, yeah, God said, and don't you know that, you know, you still need to be circumcised and the works of the law, they didn't get away with and uh, with Jesus Christ, you know. He just, you know, provided a better way and now we just have to continue in the faith and we have to, you know, make sure that we're working and make sure that we're doing this, that, and the other. And you're like, you know what, and the more they talked and the more they talked and the more you thought, hey, but yeah, but so-and-so is really good, and they're a pretty good person, and you know, they're really, really nice, and they talked to me such a nice way, and they complimented me, and they, 
you know, told me how smart I was, and they, and they appealed to my intellect, and they appealed to my flesh, because there's nothing more satisfying to your flesh than doing something that you think gains you favor with God. Right? I mean, that feels good. What if you understand in your standing with Jesus Christ, you can gain no more favor? Because you're accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. Okay? So he loves you unconditionally. But somebody alludes to that kind of thing and they start to go off. And so they move positions over here. And he says, why are you moving positions? You just, did you suffer in vain over here? Did you take all the smacks on the face over here for nothing? Just to move back to the position that you held before to appease the people who were once persecuting you? And then he, and he says this, if it be yet in vain. If it be yet in vain. <coughs> so that's alluding to that maybe there's some folks there that didn't get saved to begin with. Uh, take your Bibles, go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter number 15. We'll start in verse 1, go to verse 2. He says, if it be yet in vain. So the, the, he's implying that maybe there's somebody in here that, uh, that he's talking to that isn't really saved. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Well, there's your gospel, there's reception of the gospel, and there's your standing in Jesus Christ, okay? Verse 2, by which also ye are saved. Look at this. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, okay, unless ye have believed in vain. That word in vain. So there's a difference between a head belief and a heart belief. Now this isn't implying that in order for you to stay saved, you have to keep in memory the things that are preached to you. So the ones that say you can lose your salvation go to this verse and they say, well, see right there, if... You keep in memory all those things. So that means if you continue to do good, then you stay saved. But if you forget and you start doing bad, then you're not saved no more. <laughs> Can you see how they would read that into the verse? What did he say? By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, comma, unless you have believed in vain, you see how you could read that? Well, the only way you would have believed in vain is if you didn't believe in the first place. Okay? So you're either saved or you're not saved. This isn't talking about losing somebody's salvation. It's talking about somebody who has a head knowledge. I know about Jesus Christ, and he's, a, he's you know, I, I believe Jesus Christ, and yeah, but have you ever accepted him? That's like, that's like you going to somebody and say, uh, are you saved? They go, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? Well, the devils believe and tremble, so what does that make you so special? Well, I'm baptized. So are you saved or are you baptized? Well, I'm baptized. That means I'm saved. Well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Does that mean he wasn't saved? Right? And then you just go down the whole rigmarole. 
Well, so somebody has a head knowledge, but they don't have a, a heart understanding. They don't have a heart knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never accepted him as their Savior. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse number 17. It requires a heart change. It requires a heart belief. Verse 17, verse uh, 17 of chapter 6. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed, look at this, from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You didn't believe with your head. You had to believe with your heart. That's different. This is a verse that everybody here can quote, but Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You had to believe with your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, there's two different types of people. <laughs> Some folks have a head knowledge, doesn't do them any good. Because you can't get saved through your intellect. <coughs> doesn't help you all. You can know as much, I mean, you think, you think uh, Jordan Peterson's saved? Doing seminars on the Bible and, and seminars on the book of Genesis and all these preachers listening to him for this deep understanding and the, and the uh, philosophical approach to the word of God. Okay, shut up. You know, as, it's, as if, as if, as if the, uh, salvation is some kind of intellectual construct. It's, what is that? You don't believe on Jesus Christ with your head. The guy's as lost as a goose in a horse race. That was a good one. Dr. Ruckman said that. <laughs> right? He, uh, he, 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 he has no idea who Jesus Christ is. Now, somebody who believes in their heart, now that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> that's where salvation takes place. Okay, so he says, uh, unless you have suffered so many things in vain, uh, if it be yet in vain. Now, it's important to know this, that a Christian, uh, a Christian, you can suffer the wrong way. Okay? The Bible says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus have suffered persecution. Right? But there's a couple of things to take into consideration uh, when you think about suffering. First thing, as far as these people are concerned, go to Galatians real quick. Galatians chapter 6, verse 12 it's alluded that these people have already uh, experienced some persecution. Galatians 6.12, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. See that? He says that they're constraining them to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So, there's a group of people that are saying, oh, let's just appease them. Just go ahead and get circumcised. Why? Because I don't want to catch flack for saying that you don't need to be. <coughs> right? These folks are saying, I'm teaching that you've got to be circumcised. I don't want to catch heat to say that the cross of Jesus Christ is enough. So, they teach false doctrine. Okay, so... 
It's important that you understand that a Christian can suffer the wrong way. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Man, it's funny. We can mess all kinds of things up. You know that? <laughs> We're so bad, we can mess up suffering. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, if there was something we could mess up, we'll mess it up. You'd be suffering and be like, ah, I messed that up. I got messed up and I messed it up when I got messed up. I don't understand. Chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Look in verse 12. Some things to consider about suffering. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That's the attitude of suffering, right? That's the, when suffering starts or a fiery trial starts, you go, Oh God, why me? It's like, why not you? Are you special? Do you think Jesus was uh, exempt from suffering? Well, no. And the Bible says that a servant's not greater than his master. So why should you be any different? So there's a proper attitude with suffering. You can have the wrong attitude. Oh, God, why is this happening to me? Oh, Lord. Oh, oh Lord. Like he doesn't know what you can handle, what you can't. As if his grace isn't sufficient enough to get you through the problem that you're facing? As though you have some kind of merit or standing with God that is somehow uh, uh, more impressive than somebody else's? So you're saying if you don't deserve it, then who does? See, it's how you view it. It's how you view it. If you think that your suffering is a punishment for your sin, well then you have a pretty warped view of what Christianity is. Not saying that you can't get punished for wrongdoing, but if you think that every time suffering comes up in your life, you're somehow being punished, you have a pretty shallow understanding of Christianity. Okay, and we'll find out as we move on. But rejoice, verse 13. There's the proper attitude. But rejoice, yay! Fiery trials. Hooray for suffering. Hooray for loss. Hooray for depression. Hooray for, uh, um, hooray for uh, pain. Hooray for loneliness. I'm telling you. He says, rejoice. Insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You're... Do you ever consider that you're no more you, that you're more like Jesus Christ when you're suffering than when you're not suffering? You ever consider that? The way you, you say, I want to be like Christ. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. Okay, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How how close do you want to get? <laughs> I want to be like Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, right? And the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to have power with God. I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want, I want, I want my life to reflect Jesus Christ. Are you sure about that? Okay. He says you can have exceeding joy. Verse 14. Here's the if. This is where we can mess up suffering. <laughs> if ye... Be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye 
For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. You see that? He says, you should be happy when somebody comes up to you and say, oh, you're one of them stinking Christians, huh? You fanatical, crazy person. You believe that gays are wrong. You believe that you believe in traditional marriage. You believe you should be in church every time the doors are open. You're crazy. You're fanatical. You may even have a scripture verse on the back of your car, you crazy person. Don't you know you don't fit in with society anymore? Don't you know that you're just, you know, you, the only reason you have a belief in God is because you need a crutch, because you can't really cope with life? Don't you know you're so closed-minded, you just think you know everything? Oh, you really believe God can preserve a book? Oh, how crazy are you? That's not lost, but that's, that's saved people talking now. Oh, you believe that, you believe that the Bible has no errors in it. You believe that you have to, oh, and not only that, you have to rightly divide your Bible. Oh, dispensations, that's a heresy. You're one of them crazy, heretical people. You just think you know everything, holier than thou. You see that? And the Bible says on, on, on your part, uh, or excuse me, on their part, he's evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. That's called the reproach of Christ. It costs something to be named with him. Where was he crucified? He was crucified outside the camp. So that means if you're comfortable inside the camp, there's probably something wrong with you. Amen. What do you say? But let none of you Here's where we mess it up. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, <clears throat> but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know what? You can suffer. And if you suffer as a Christian, I'm not, I'm not suffering because I stuck my nose in somebody else's business and I deserve to get my face smacked. I'm not suffering because <clears throat> I thought it was really important to let everybody know what I knew and so I was a jerk to everybody and now nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, and guess I'll go eat worms. Maybe it's because you're a jerk. But if any man suffer as a Christian, not for you doing wrong, <clears throat> That's like somebody messing up in church, and, uh, and then when, when they're called out on the carpet, they go, oh, you just don't like me. No, stupid, you did wrong. You brought it on yourself. But he says, how do you suffer the right way? You suffer as a Christian. You suffer for doing right. You suffer uh, from, from living a Christian life, uh, trying to keep your sins confessed and your heart clear and going to church and reading your Bible and praying and witnessing and doing everything you can to be a Christian and then persecution and suffering come your way and you go, all right, Lord, here we go. Cha-ching. Chance for some riches. Chance to be more like you. Chance for a little bit of that power. Chance for a little bit of that touch. So you better make sure you're suffering for the right thing. 
These people here back in Galatians chapter 3, they're suffering for the right thing at the front, and then they're going to change their position and say, oh no, we actually believe that you got to keep the law in order to be saved. And he says, hey stupid, you're going to suffer over here for right, and then you're going to move your position and suffer again, and they're going to call you wishy-washy. And they're going to call you, uh, you know, unstable. And they're going to say, oh, well, you flip-flopped your position. And they're going to call you everything. They're never going to listen to you again. You're going to suffer again in vain? Why don't you just stick to the right position and stay there? You see that? But my family thinks I'm crazy. And my family called me this. And my parents don't like it. And my brother and sister don't like it. And, you know, my friends don't like it. And my coworkers think I'm crazy. And my boss doesn't want to talk to me anymore. <clears throat> well, maybe you're suffering the right way. Okay? So, <clears throat> back in Galatians chapter number 3. So again, verse 2, speaking of their conversion, verse 3, he asks a question about their conduct. In verse 4, uh, he, uh, he uh, asks them a question about their conflict. Okay, verse number 5, he says, He therefore that ministereth to you, the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? You see how each one of these questions is a leading question? Each one of these questions is designed to make them rationally think, logically think, about what it is they're doing. How did you arrive at this position? How did you arrive at this state of being bewitched and moving away from the truth that you once knew, how did you get there? So he's, what he's doing is he's reverse engineering their brain. He's saying, okay, number one, how did you get your spirit? You got it by faith. Okay, well, if you got that by faith, then since you got that by faith, do you get made perfect through the works of the law? Well, no, I'd probably still get that by the Spirit and by faith. Okay, well, let's keep going here. Uh, let me see. Have you suffered? Why have you suffered? Do you remember how, do you remember how bold your stand was over here and how gung-ho you were over here and how much you believed what you believed over here? Did you suffer in vain? And they're going, oh, I don't think so. I remember it was pretty bad, you know, and... They start to remember, you know, all that stuff. And then he says, okay, he therefore that minister to you, the spirit worketh and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, there's two ways uh, I've seen this thing uh, exposited from people. The first way I've seen this thing exposited <clears throat> is the he in verse 5 wrongly is interpreted as God. So they say he, <clears throat> that the he in the verse is God, which that's just stupid. That's, that's, it's not God. He, therefore, that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. The he is in reference to the who in verse 1. This is one way. So the who in verse 1 Paul's saying, he could be saying this tongue-in-cheek here, he, therefore, that ministereth unto you. So what's he saying? So he, as in that guy up there, that brand donkey that got you to move off your position, uh, where's his miracles? Because I know when I came, there was some legitimacy to what I was saying. 
right? And so Paul's like, I mean, I've got, I've got the works of an apostle. I've, I've got the fingerprints of God on my ministry. There's no doubt about it. What about that guy? So if you're going to say that, doesn't he have to line up with me when it comes to miracles? So the who um, is going to have to compete with Paul in the performing of miracles. And of course, he can't compete with Paul. There's no way. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse number 19. <clears throat> Through mighty signs and wonders, <clears throat> by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about unto Ereiklicum, uh, uh, or whatever, <laughs> I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I've, I have with mighty signs and wonders have preached the gospel of Christ. What about that joker standing up in front of you saying you got to be circumcised in order to be saved? Do you do you do you give him do you give him the same amount of credibility as I have? Do you hold him to the same standard that you hold me? That's what he's that's what he's saying. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, look in verse 11. I am become a fool in glorying, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul saying, there was no shortage of that stuff when I preached unto you. You see that? And so when somebody doesn't have the goods, you know what they do? They try to fake it. Go to Acts. The book of Acts chapter 8. Verse 13, <clears throat> then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria received the word of God, they sent unto Peter and John, and so they came down <clears throat> uh, from the Holy Ghost. Look in verse uh, 17, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said to him, Money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right. In the sight of God, repent therefore for this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. <clears throat> you see, what's the problem? 
he sees these guys doing something, he says, oh man, if I could have that, I would have the respect that I really deserve. And if I had that, people would look up to me the way they're supposed to look up to me. And if I had that, boy, let me tell you, I would be the real deal. <clears throat> no denying that God's with me. He says, hey, I'll do anything you want. I'll give you some money for that. Hey, stupid, you can't buy it with money. Has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with your ability. Has nothing to do with what you have to give and offer. You give your own. You give your seat of your own uh, uh, self. You can't. You ain't gonna buy that thing. <clears throat> People don't understand that. So the he, therefore, uh, in chapter chapter three verse five, could allude to the who in chapter three verse one. But also here, this could be. Uh, he, uh, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth it be, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of flesh. This could be the, the, the correct ministers. This could be Paul alluding to himself. This could be Paul alluding to some of the preachers that he sent and had preached for him. This could allude to somebody who is legitimately uh, preaching the Spirit of God and has the, has the signs and stuff like that. And uh, Paul's saying, that guy doesn't have what these guys have. This, that guy doesn't have what I have. And so why are you holding him to a lesser standard than you would me? Why do you hold me at this standard, but this guy doesn't come in with the same credentials that I have, and you're listening to him and throwing what I have to say out the door? And so the problem is, is familiarity with Paul. <clears throat> They've become too familiar with him. Paul is just, you know, Paul is just Paul. He's become, you know, to them, to some of them, he's just the old man. He's just a crouchy old man, and he, everything is wrong. He, everything is just wrong, and he's just always mad about everything, right? And they take, they take what Paul says, and then they say, well, he's not as, you know, as uh, understanding as this guy over here. Well, he's not as, as uh, articulate as this guy over here. And Paul, he's, he doesn't like anything that I do. This guy, he, he, he concedes a couple things to me and lets me have my way in a couple different matters. You see what I'm saying? And so they discredit Paul, although he's got all the signs. He's got all the fingerprints of God all over his ministry. He's got the signs. He's got the wonders. He's got the revelation. He's got the goods. But this guy... They don't hold him to the same standard they hold Paul. They like what he has to say more than they like Paul, and so they follow him. And that's what, as a church, you need to be extremely, extremely careful about because there's always an Absalom, and there's always an Adonijah trying to take David's spot. And so he's saying here, he therefore that minister unto you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And the truth of the matter is, it better be through the spirit of God because anybody can tell you what to do. It's a whole other thing to get a guy that'll preach what God tells him to preach so that the Holy Spirit can come through him and into your ears and then into your heart and then God tells you what you need to do and then you can get your heart straight with the Lord because that's the way God intended it to flow. So if you get a guy up there spouting his own opinion and telling you how to live your life, you know what you do? You've bypassed the Holy Spirit. You're not getting a genuine drink of water. You're getting something artificial. You're getting something that's not genuine. Now, next week, I'm going to get into a thought here about miracles. And uh, it's more of a practical thought, but I think it, 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 uh, it bears uh, going down a rabbit hole. But the simple thought that miracles 
exalt a man and ministry exalts the Savior. And so we'll get into that next week, okay? Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Pray you bless all that was said and done here tonight in this class. Thank you for all that have shown up. And I pray you bless Pastor in the next hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.